0: We're We put out a call for uh, chief meme officer for the Omnibus. Uh, sorry to say, that the position has been filled after receiving zero applications. <laughs> uh, we're just we're just gonna consolidate our current positions, and uh, one of us will be chief meme officer. I will have to say, you know, shamelessly jumping on other uh, internet profitability trends. Uh, I'm happy to announce that the Omnibus podcast will be launching uh, at OnlyFans. But with a twist. See, you know, because we're not going to be, we're going to be different, got to be different from the rest of the market, right, Phil?
1: Of course. They're
0: all, they're all doing like sexy pictures of themselves, right? All these presumably attractive looking women. I I don't use it, so I don't know who's actually I mean,
1: on it. I mean, well, it's it's technically a given, but instead of pictures of sexy women, you're going to get pictures of sexy comic books. Like, you ever seen that Absolute Watchmen Unwrapped? Ooh.
0: I don't know how it works. You pay $5, I think, per person. So $5, you're not going to see me and. Phil Barrett all. We're just gonna like, just do the same thing. We talk about comics. We're gonna talk about sexy looking comics. Um oh no, Frank Cho, I guess we could talk about the really yeah, the really cheesecake art.
1: Real cheesecake art. so all the Adam Hughes, Frank Cho, Arthur Adams, uh who who else is she? Uh J Jay Scott Campbell. <laughs> oh jeez.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's uh Campbell that Mary Jane Watson image that everyone air cosplayer loves.
1: Uh, yeah, because it's it's very cheap. You know, all you need is a white t shirt, a cricket machine, and uh, a red wig, and boom, and you're married. And Jack. then
0: we'll talk about the Marvel swimsuit calendar they put out the infamous Marvel swimsuit calendar they put out years ago.
1: Oh yes, that was I think in the mid nineties actually.
0: Was it mid nineties? All right, I just know it's like all sexy. Well, to their credit, men and women, it's male and female characters. Yes,
1: they're, because they're I, one they're I, one,
0: they're one full nude character was Ghost Rider.
1: Ah, uh, because he's made of bones. He's
0: made of and fire. Uh, And then we'll we'll use a chance to talk about sexy manga people, manga artists, I guess.
1: I'm sure there's plenty of those. I mean, tons of those. Uh, Let's see. We can start off with, uh, huh, I'm trying to think. Oh, oh, uh, oh, great. So we got oh, great. We can talk about him. We can talk about uh, not many women in it. But Takehiko Inoue's Vagabond is an extremely sexy book uh, just because of the gorgeous line weights and the hatching he does. Uh, let's see, there's also Claymore, uh, by, dang, I can never remember this man's name, but Claymore, you know, just a whole bunch of women in, and not, and not scantily cladded armor with giant Claymore's, uh, hunting demons, so, you know, you gotta get on, get in on this OnlyFans.
0: Yeah, there's nothing in the terms of service that requires sexual content, I'm assuming, right?
1: (laughs) Uh, I don't know, because I think, like, OnlyFans is technically not meant for that in terms of like its production it just so happened that everyone gravitated towards it because of it because uh it's always very funny going through my twitter feed and like seeing the uh people like is it like a meme of the, the kid yelling at another kid is at least my mama doesn't ha- you're gonna be like at least my mama doesn't have an only fans and i remember only fans used to be uh premium snapchat because people used to sell their their snapchats for five dollars to like see nude content yeah
0: so there we go we'll sell we'll start selling premium snapchats too, but be nude nude manga
1: that
0: yeah, you manga. can get elsewhere but we <laughs> <you> can somehow <laughs> we'll charge five dollars for it but
1: uh,
0: sexy. Uh, yeah there you go coming to you soon the omnibus OnlyFans, fans sexy japanese manga Speaking of sexy Japanese things, we have something for you today.
1: Oh my God!
0: Uh, very subjective definition of sexy, though. Know? I mean, uh, yes, also all there, is, there is mating. There is there is mating to happens in the comic. Uh, yeah. There is reproduction.
1: To yeah, reproduction. In terms of repro- yeah, there's reproduction going on in this comic. Very very weirdly, yeah. you know. Uh, you gotta you gotta inject your insect antenna into the giant lizard. That's how babies are made.
0: So we're talking Godzilla Aftershock, the prequel comic to Godzilla King of the Monsters from last year. Uh, and we have a special treat for you listeners in store. Uh, we're gonna have momentarily after our discussion, we'll have both oh, <laughs> we'll have yeah. both the artists and the colorists. So Drew Edward Johnson and Alan
1: Passalek. Tassel- I- I-
0: well also, I'm gonna have to ask him how to pronounce his name correct. I'm-
1: I'm, probably, I'm pretty sure it's pass Pasolacqua. Mm-hmm.
0: Pasolacqua on to discuss what it's like to work on the book, because, you know, we're not, you know, we, we Phil and I, we come off unprofessional with our zero budget and our uh, <laughs> lack of uh, editing, audio experience, but we have connections. Uh,
1: very, very tiny connections, but, like, we do have connections. So this is probably going to be the first and maybe last interview we will do for the rest <laughs> of the year. God only knows.
0: It'll be fun because it's something we you know, we've we talked a lot of heavy books about racism and patriarchy and white supremacy. And let's 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 do something fun with giant monsters master each other in the head.
1: Yeah, which I'm I'm definitely here for for this. All
0: right, so let's get right to it with the book, uh, so we have time to you know save some time for the interview later. Uh so Godzilla Aftershock, like I said, prequel to Godzilla Kingdom Monsters, released by Legendary Comics, which I'm assuming is the comics imprint of Legendary Pictures, the studio that (laughs) released that release.
1: That is exactly what it is.
0: Yep, writer is Arvid Nelson, who I've never heard of uh, before or since. And how we know Alan, uh, the colorist, is that he was actually our digital tools teacher in grad school.
1: Yes, he was, and he he taught us the the master of coloring.
0: photoshop and all the basic ins and outs that surprisingly many comics professionals who've been working for years and decades don't know how to do like scanning yeah. like how to scan your things at, at the right resolution
1: true because people are still using their printers from like 1998 but it's all right though all
0: right so godzilla aftershock uh, takes place shortly after the 2014 godzilla Uh, It's kind of meant to bridge the story between King of the the Monsters and the 2014 one. Do you want to summarize the story? (laughs) I don't think it's actually a summary. (laughs) Normally I just want to read a summary from the back of
1: the book. (laughs) I mean, well, the summary on the back of of my book is uh, the King of Monsters becomes an endangered species as an ancient terror rises from the depths of the earth, unleashing a series of devastating earthquakes and driven by an unstoppable primal, primal instinct that will test Godzilla like never before. Monarch operative uh, Dr. Emma Russell races to stop the threat as clues emerge to reveal a terrible secret, a tragedy of apocalyptic proportions from the distant past that changed the course of human history is returning to threaten it once more. A shadowy figure stalks Emma every move as she travels the globe to uncover secrets while Godzilla clashes in an ancient rivalry as old as Earth itself. The fate of the world lies in the balance in the epic confrontation that no Godzilla fan will want to miss, setting the stage for the big screen blockbuster Godzilla King of Monsters.
0: So the story is basically centered around uh, Vera Famigura's character, King of the Monsters. She's the uh, spoilers for a movie that's a year old at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah. uh, she, no, she not a year
1: old, two years old, two years old.
0: Oh you're right, yeah, I forgot. Yeah, twenty twice. Twenty nineteen.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh two years old, even more. So even less excuse. Um <laughs> so she was aside the monarch scientist who turned out to be the real villain. Unleashing <laughs> right. all the titans. But I guess this is presumably before she turns bad, goes all Thanos wannabe. Her and Monarch investigating some strange things happening. Uh, and then it, it turns out to be a new monster to, as have, that Godzilla has to fight, uh, Muto Prime, which is kind of the the alpha super uber version of the Mutos from the first Godzilla. Yeah. Uh, we see all all the returning characters from the first one. You see Sarazama, with, uh, with Likeness of like this. You see um, um, Sally Hawkins' character. I don't remember her name, but. <laughs> character's name but you see her like this
1: to be completely honest i don't remember any of these characters other than dr russell and dr sarazawa uh
0: and there's well i don't blame you because they're pretty (laughs) underutilized in the movies and we follow kind of less interesting characters
1: uh the main bad
0: guy the human bad guy is actually the terrorist guy from king of the monsters alan jonah or that's his name He's played by Charles Day, who so people will know as uh, for Game of Thrones. Yes. Yeah, that's kind of the basic story. You know, giant monsters, they fight. Uh, the, I think the biggest thing in terms of setup for the movie that would follow King of the Monsters is that they help defeat the Mudo Prime with uh, the sonic device that you see here used at the beginning of use that
1: movie. The right. Which was uh, interesting, to say the least, because the idea of uh, using of bringing back the idea of the MUTOs, right? Because here, the MUTO Prime is introduced as not just the idea of, like, the evolved version of those creatures from the uh, 2014 Godzilla, but as a completely different monster known as the uh, Dragon Beetle. Or the, what was it, Jin-shi, uh something? So, something
0: like that.
1: Uh, Damn, I, I, don't really, I don't really, I <laughs> don't really
0: attach it to the mythological names.
1: But I feel like the, I, but I I would I would argue that the mythological name is the more realistic name. Like, cool, we're gonna call it the Muto because you know I, unidentified monster or whatever. But then it's like, yo, what about my Gadan's or my Rodans and my Ghidorah? They all have names. Why can't he have a name? And I find it the Jinshi Mushi. All right, so the dragon beetle.
0: Yeah. So they're basically. They're they're kind of continuing the theme from the first one that got expanded in in *King of the Monsters*. That these are these ancient monsters existed in the past, and they're kind of the basis for a lot of the mythological gods of ancient civilizations. You know, very quickly. Like, what was your what was your overall reaction to the story, Phil? Uh,
1: I mean, it was cool. It wasn't it wasn't like blow me away type of story, but at the same time, I was like, okay, this is. I kind of wish they expanded more on uh, Dr. Russell's character where like we get to see that heel turn from, I mean, cause in this, in this series, she's not, she isn't, I wouldn't say, uh, what is it? Lawful good in the first place. She's, she's definitely chaotic good mm-hmm. or well, chaotic neutral anyways. And uh, wanting to see how she went from this uh, phase to becoming the terrorist and King of the Monsters is something I wanted to see, which we don't see here.
0: Yeah, so the kind of the motivation, such as it was, <laughs> King of the Monsters, <laughs> is that she was just, like, kind of traumatized by the, all of the, like, losing her son and uh, kind of the devastation that got to the left in its wake kind of supposedly opened her eyes to, like, oh, we have to, we have to make we have to make help the earth heal and all that stuff. Right. Uh, we don't really like this is very recently after the devastation, but it doesn't really focus on her trauma or how she's dealing with it. It's mostly just kind of a more plot driven. Hey, we got we got to investigate this giant monster. We got to kind of help Godzilla convince the government to let us help Godzilla.
1: Right, which is uh which is always funny though, cause like they have <clears throat> the world the world leaders of course uh, a part of the UN are like, "Oh, how come we can't just let, you know, Godzilla duke it out like we did in the first movie?" And they're like, "Yo, this this monster uses Godzilla as an incubator. Like, we we have to help him." Mm, I I rather not. You know? It's <laughs> like, "But we we have significant evidence to say that Godzilla, right, is the incubator for these monsters which will create more monsters. The only thing stop would to stop this monster would be Godzilla." Yes, but you see, we as humans, not just humans, but political leaders, are morons. So <laughs> let's ju- let's just let's just see what happens.
0: Yeah, you yeah, know, there's not too much. They they hit a lot of kind of standard Trumps and conventions of this type of story. Like they're there just to be plot obstacles. The human characters are not terribly fleshed out. Um, the the focus of the story, like in both the Godzilla movies, are on Godzilla and the monster fight.
1: Yeah, um, which, which is what we need,
0: yeah, and you know that's kind of you know what you expect if you ever i don't I don't know if you grown up reading these type of like I grew up reading a lot of these tie- in novels, tie- in comics for like official i p for like you know Star Wars and stuff like that, and i I've learned that you just could never really expect, but not, not to expect too much for these type of works,
1: yeah like uh I think the Star Wars. Uh, tie-in comics were probably the only ones I've ever read, like, in particularly Captain, uh, Captain Phasma, because I was a big fan of that character, who I felt was, uh, very underutilized in the series.
0: Yeah, but that one, I think, came out, it wasn't in the interim, I think that was after The Last Jedi, I assume, right?
1: Captain Phasma? No, it came out, uh, before The Last Jedi, I believe. Yeah, it came out before.
0: All right. I mean, like, so, I'm sure there were restrictions, I'm sure we could ask our guests about it when it came out. I'm sure there were restrictions. Kind of had, tying their hands, the creative team is that like it has to be done within the two years between. Well, it has to be done, you know, with a certain time before the time for the movie's release. 2019 release. If right. I find an issue, they could they have creative restrictions on like what they can and cannot do because it's being safe for the movie. Um You know, it'd be kind of That's kind of, always I think the trick with doing work for hire, working on established IPs. Uh, let's get let's get to the heart of it, the meat of this. Uh, what how would, How'd you feel about the way the monsters are drawn <laughs> and,
1: and and the big monster fights? Oh, I loved it. I was I was definitely here for it. Um, I think the only thing that was missing was the uh the way IDW does Godzilla's roar, which was like the scion or whatever. I mean, I did that very horribly, but I mean, for those of you, yeah, the the those of you who read IDW Godzilla comics, you know what I'm talking about. The very iconic roar that he does, um. But other than that, like I did enjoy the design of the uh, Jinshin Mushi, uh, though at some times the face looks a little too human, rather than insect, which I found very odd. I think that's these are all
0: questions we could ask. I think really? the part, maybe part of the reason the IDW Godzilla is that that's the Toho Godzilla, and this is the legendary Godzilla, you want to make the- a distinction?
1: Yeah, but I feel like the, the the legendary Godzilla still makes the same noise as the Toho Godzilla.
0: No, they actually they actually re, they actually redid the roar. Oh, really? Yeah, they still won't tell. They still won't say how they did it. They want to keep that secret. But it is it is the they intentionally didn't make a slightly different roar.
1: I see. It's like yeah.
0: evocative. It's evocative, but also they put their own spin on it. Which Which, as, as someone who has watched. Too many of these things, I can you can tell the difference when you hear it.
1: See, I need to go ahead and get myself the Godzilla uh, Criterion Collection as well. Yeah, then
0: and then watch Shin Godzilla. Uh,
1: so, uh, what about you? How did the Godzilla, the Godzilla versus the giant beetle dragon thing uh, work for you?
0: So, I can see why they chose Drew Johnson for this work because if you look at his previous Marvel DC work, uh, it's very detailed. I think that's kind of the important thing they wanted to get. Is that you see every little detail of Godzilla and the movie Frog? You see all the little scales, you see all the little spikes. Uh, kind of going for a realism, a sense of realism in the aesthetic, which is what the, the movies are going for. Right. Uh, and in general, for the Godzilla comics, they always tend to go for that. They choose artists like Jeff Darrow or James Stokey. Stoke, James
1: Stokey. James
0: Stokey. Stoke, who want, like the, you want to see every little scale and every little pebble of rubble? Um, it looked good. I thought it looked really, really good. Uh, the action in itself could have been a little cleaner at times, I felt. Actually, the big climax, I was a little actually confused on what happened the first time I read it. Oh, really? How he defeats the Mudo Prime. Uh,
1: what's it called? It was the, they did the Sonic thing, and then he, because of the Sonic sound that's happening, right, the Mudo is going crazy, and is like, trying to get away. Godzilla takes advantage of that, pushes him down and uh, hits him with apparently the the dorsal fins on his back are broken, but the yeah, atomic he does. heat, you
0: know, he, he, does. Is he still hits him with a little bit of atomic atomic blast on his back. Yeah. Which we don't ever see in the
1: movies. <laughs> no, we don't, but I mean, it's a comic. That that's the beautiful thing about comics, right? You're not restricted by budget. Uh, yep. But, you
0: know, yeah, that that's like I thought it was a, especially the lead up to it. There's like a lot going on. There's like a lot of sound effects. They're, like, huge. There's a lot of tight close-ups of the Moodle Prime and Godzilla in their face. So, at times, it was a little hard to tell what was happening. I felt that way a little bit in the beginning, too. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so here's something, the pacing of it, I thought was kind of noteworthy, is that you just gave your Moodle Prime Godzilla right in the very beginning.
1: Which is what I would want. So, uh, this book was clearly targeted towards me.
0: Or it's there's a certain audience that uh, I guess were dissatisfied with uh, the first one due to its expert handling of anticipation, Ooh. intentions, and chasing out uh, monster for payoffs. And there were those who were impatient and just like Kong's gone. And they give you Kong in the first 30 seconds.
1: Yeah, that's what, cause that's what I'm talking about. Like, yo, these <laughs> properties have lasted. For 70 years. Well, I think Kong is a little bit older. Because uh, I think Kong came out in the 30s or something? Or oh, in the Kong, 40s. Kong,
0: yeah, Kong predates Godzilla.
1: Yeah, right? You already know what these monsters essentially look like. So anyway, you get all this concept art of these redesigned monsters, right? You get. I remember 2014, the concept art for Godzilla. I was excited because I grew up watching Godzilla. Kong Skull Island. I grew up watching... Well, I didn't grow up watching Kong. I've, I think I've only seen the... uh godzilla versus kong movie i think once as a child
0: <laughs> let me tell you it, it doesn't really it doesn't exactly improve its cinematic quality as an adult
1: i mean I dive, it's, just,
0: it's just
1: funnier well <laughs> yes but like just the idea of just you know kaijus coming like being back within the zeitgeist is what i'm here for um especially when uh, guillermo del toro released pacific rim like i thought that was gonna start off a new wave of like giant monster movies I mean, I think Legendary somehow, I feel like, boxed out everyone and like, no, this is our playground. You're not allowed in it. Um, but I mean, still, I'm, I, I know Godzilla looks like. I know what Kong looks like. Let me see them punch things in the face. Which and she shoot. did.
0: And it was more, It was worth the wait. The wait made it sweeter. And because I'm the one who edits the podcast, I'm going to distort and edit out Phil's uh, comments to fit my point of view. <laughs> It'll be like a robot, blatant robot voice replacing, I like the, you know, (laughs) amazing.
1: (laughs) I, Philip Fleming, enjoy the 2014 Godzilla film.
0: Uh, uh, There's one thing I noticed with the art, is that there's a lot of focus on the monsters. The humans, I think, got a little neglected. Something I noticed that Emma Russell... Uh, her facial expression never changes
1: yeah she she's always essentially angry because like she's uh thinking about her son and trying to put everything into her work but then we have her uh foil tarkin who is the very fun mercenary guy
0: i I thought he would have died because he doesn't show up in the movie but no he's still around i guess they just didn't want to use them in the movie.
1: Oh, so a question for you, right? So reading through this, right, we get bits of the mythology going on in terms of the Phoenician uh, tile frescoes, right? Mm-hmm. How did you how did you feel about that?
0: I loved it. I thought it was the best part of the book. Okay. I think wow. it's the most the most stylized of it. And it's like that's a part in the movies that that you can never really capture. Because mm-hmm. like they just focus on, they're just like they don't have time to really go into like the mythological backstory. They're busy just like rolling around, sometimes literally. Uh, just like <laughs> we're like, we had to get through the monsters, we got to get through the plot points, we got to get through all the exposition dumps, like in King of the Monsters.
1: Right.
0: Uh, yeah, I I loved it. Um, I think there's something we're gonna ask Adam about because I'm sure he. He played the heaviest hand in terms of getting the, the effect right. I would
1: agree. Yeah, I would agree. Because, like, it really looks like tile looking at these uh, panels.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So I thought I thought they were uh, the best. I, I love this kind of art in general. I, lo- I remember playing uh, Wind Waker, and the beginning of that has a similar type of aesthetic, telling this backstory of the hero the hero of time. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like, give me a whole game. Give me a whole game in that style. You know, it's also I think kind of the biggest strength was that the book is at best when it's playing into the mythology and kind of filling in the gaps of that. Which who knows what uh, Godzilla, versus, Godzilla versus Kong is gonna do?
1: Uh, yeah, that that is also very true because uh, I think for Godzilla versus Kong is essentially uh what is uh what is that movie that like combines things? Oh. Sorry, I was gonna say Godzilla vs Kong is eventually is essentially the Avengers for giant monsters, um, and not just any Avengers, but like the what was that 2012 Avengers directed by John. Oh Josh well, Whedon. I
0: would have said that was King of the Monsters, whereas this one is more more Batman be serious. or this, is, this one is Civil War.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean when I think about uh King of the, King of Monsters, I think of that more in terms of uh like Winter Soldier. That's what I was oh, thinking. Interesting. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about because um, Rodan, right, is essentially crossbones. Uh, Ghidorah <laughs> G- G- D- G- is uh, what's his name? The 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 leader of the world conference. Uh, Redford.
0: Crap.
1: Thank you, Redford. Right. <laughs> his character.
0: Here's what his character is: I'm Redford.
1: Yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, Godzilla is Captain America, and Mothra was uh was like a combination of Scarlet of Black Widow and Falcon. So yeah. Mm-hmm. King of Monsters, Winter Soldier.
0: Scintillating comics theory discussion right here. <laughs> <laughs> Godzilla. I guarantee you, you're never going to hear any of the fancier indie comics podcasts talking about Godzilla versus Kong. No. Of, yeah, a bunch of snobs talking about. Oh, let's, uh, let's read the latest. Uh, well, I don't want to do this because I actually, I actually do. Oh, uh, no, I was going to say Chris Ware, but I like Chris Ware. Or Adrian Tomey, but I like Adrian Tomey.
1: Um, I I, mm, I don't know. I like... I like all comics, even the even the bad ones.
0: Even I'll uh, even Start Batman and Robin? <sighs> it
1: has a special place in my heart. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> also a train of thought. Uh, Godzilla Aftershock. You know, kind of a cool comic. You know, if you like, if you really are the Godzilla, it's not a bad pickup. Uh
1: yeah, no, it's not. Uh, what I think is interesting, well, because in my book, I have the hardcover uh, book with art. Arthur Adams' uh, art on it. Oh, again,
2: absolutely.
1: It... A lot. Oh, okay, so you have that one as well. So it has uh, in the back of it little tidbits talking about the uh, Muto Prime as the the Jin Mushi. Oh
0: yeah, it's kind of following the, the, the like how the movies they had like the newspapers and the documents
1: at the end. Right. So it gives a little background information on that, as well as like the field report that's been extremely redacted. Uh, and then we get a realistic photo of a person's foot looking at this blue thing in the water, which I'm assuming is supposed to be Godzilla, and person falling, and you see Godzilla swimming in the water.
0: There was something, I think you brought up before we were talking about it, is that you were kind of a little, you really look confused about why he tends, because John tends to use a very light outline, but then certain times are thicker. Yes. I am. Um, um, it seems to me look like it looks like it happens mainly in perspective. I'm assuming.
1: Uh, I mean, I don't know because like one scene where they are waiting for the uh the San Francisco security council guy to bring them the sonic device that they use at the end of the comic. Um, like, all the characters who are in the foreground are, uh, have bolder lines, while everything else in the mid-ground and background are thinner in terms of lines, which makes sense. But then we have scenes where, uh, let's see, because I was just looking at it the other day as well. I think it's the scene where Jonah and Tarkin are on the plane, and they're about to have, like, a face-off with the guns. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think Tarkin's lines... Yes, Tarkin's lines are a lot thicker than they are next to Emma, and uh, the plane, in particular, is extremely dark in terms of lines, but that's a background feature, which shouldn't be as heavy, shouldn't be as bold as the human figures, because, of course, when reading comics, we're focusing on the humans, not the objects around them.
0: We could it I wonder if maybe I wonder if it's intentional something we could ask. Also yeah. something I noticed is that there's a lot of background details and I'm wondering if Alan was the one who added them. Like uh, like the scene where Emma Russell is gearing up and you see like black guns in the displays. Yes. Like they're they're like so clean and it looks like they were like
1: very Photoshopped. precise.
0: Yeah, precisely like Wonder V I wonder I feel like that might have been Alan's job.
1: See, I, that's a good question. I don't know, because looking at this, looking at the the line work and everything, you can clearly tell this was inked digitally, mm. and uh, I'm pretty sure there wasn't an inker on this. I think uh, Drew Edward Johnson did everything. Yeah, Drew Edward Johnson did everything, so I think he went about it very digitally, and he was probably the one who did those uh, those guns.
0: Huh. We'll find out what we ask, so that's our discussion. Any more thoughts? Before we get to our interview, Phil?
1: Uh, let's see. No, I think everything is has been said. Oh, the one thing I wanted to mention is the design of the suit that they used to go underground to to search the Muto's Prime's nest. Oh. I thought it was I thought it was a very cool design, very uh, action man. If you, if you were, <laughs> I if do you remember the action man <laughs> the first season was great, not so much afterwards. I only remember the first season.
0: Yeah, the first grade he, like, he uses math to do extreme sense.
1: Yes. So yeah, I thought that was a a very very nice. I mean, it's not. I'm not gonna say it's like it's a very deep comic like all the others we were reading, but this it's it's a fun read.
0: Fun read. If you like the two, if you're a big Godzilla fan, would recommend it. If you like it, you know, check out their work. Uh, watch King of the Monsters. Watch especially watch Shin Godzilla, and then hopefully watch King, watch. 'Cause at the time of this release we'll not have seen Godzilla vs. Khan. So hopefully it's gonna be good. <laughs> so go out and watch
1: it. Yes. Uh, um, and then
0: if it turns out if it turns out to be terrible, don't don't add us.
1: <laughs> He's like you promised it would be good. I was like, no, way, did I did, I just promised you a monkey punching a dragon. That's all I promised you. <laughs> yep,
0: yeah, yeah. So yeah, let's like uh, on that note, let's get right to our interview.
1: Right. So, viewers, we've already mentioned that we're going to have our two guests, right? And we deliver on our promises because they're both here. So, here we have uh, the artist of Godzilla Aftershock, uh, Drew Edward Johnson, as well Hello. as the uh, colorist, uh, Alan Pasalacqua. That's pretty good. Oh, damn. <laughs> I thought I had it. Like, I was like... No, it's, it's, it's good enough. <laughs> good enough. to. I don't want to be good enough. I want to be the greatest.
2: I don't even. I I don't know if I know the right way to say it anymore, so it's okay. You're
3: okay. That's what Um, I've been calling you for ages, so I hope it works. (laughs) I think the only person
2: I knew was my like sophomore gym teacher, because he used to yell at me, "Pass (laughs) aqua.
1: Okay. (laughs) So let's
0: uh start things off first. Um, why don't you first like just give a little bit about your personal professional background. Um. And then before we got into the book proper, so
3: I guess, Drew, you would you like to go first? Oh, I guess so. Um, I, I, I guess uh, I, I'm a 20-year vet of uh, pencil and comics. You know, I've worked on uh, books for pretty much every major company. Um, I started off on Star Wars at Dark Horse Comics. Uh, I've worked on a lot of uh, licensed titles like G.I. Joe, Tomb Raider, you know, things that require likeness work. And I also did uh, uh, Wonder Woman for a Spell at DC and Supergirl and The Authority. Um, I wrote and drew my own creator, own book at Dark Horse. Uh, It's called Midnight Society, The Black Lake, you know, and just a score of other things (laughs) that pretty much catches you up on the quick. Okay. Um, and
2: I'm a colorist. I also teach at uh, CCA, the MFA program for comics. I've colored Aftershock, and then uh, just did the the New Godzilla book, uh, Dominion, that Drew drew as well. And you and, killed it. It looks awesome. Huh, cool. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, and uh, but I, you know, I've been I've colored uh, Battle Pug with uh, Mike Norton. That's uh, kind of a on and again, off again thing for uh, that we have an image comics now, and I think we're about to do another mini series of that. Um, but I've which
0: done. I should point out, when I was working at the Barnes and Noble, I finally sold one copy of the compendium. Oh man, it took uh, me six months to finally <laughs> sell it, but it, it eventually <laughs> it sold. It's a big book. <laughs> yes, that's that's but, kind of the reason why it was hard to sell.
2: That was a that was five years worth of web comics in one oh, book. Man.
0: Jeez, Okay. Like, yeah, it's also like the extra long dimension too. So it was also, yeah. it was always a pain to, for people to shelve it. Uh, but I always made yeah. sure from uh comic book stores.
1: <laughs> All right. I see. So at least you got the uh the residual the residual check from that one book that was purchased at Eric Barnes and Noble. So you know yes. it, it, that definitely out. <laughs> and if anyone <laughs> <everyone>, if <laughs> anyone
0: there ever wants to order it, they'll They'll have a history to go back to them. Not me. Nice. I wouldn't be able to help them anymore because I'm no longer there. <laughs> uh, I guess, yeah, no, yeah. Uh, so I guess real quick, um, how did you first break into comics? Um, what was your kind of your background beforehand? Was it your, like illustrating graphic design? And then how did you land your first comic gig?
3: So I guess uh, we, can, we can circle back and we'll go with Alan. Are you talking to me or Alan? Oh, I hey, think both of you. Oh. But like, we should probably go in order. Mick Allen,
2: go okay.
1: first, because uh, I went first last time. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so respectful. I
2: like it. I loved comics. Like, I was doing comics in the 90s, like, like right before and then during the big image boom. So I was, like, drawing, and I, and I loved drawing the comics. Um, but I just didn't have – I didn't put in enough time to, like, really get good at the drawing. like part. I, I like drawing single images, but sequential art is just not really my jam. And so I decided to go in, to school for graphic design. And when I moved to San Diego, I answered an ad for a production uh, assistant, and it happened to be Wildstorm Comics. And and I didn't even know that. I actually like went in to like get interviewed, and like there was like huge cardboard cutouts of like Gen 13 and Wildcats. I'm like, <laughs> where, the, where the FMI? you know? Like, and I totally like bullshitted my way. Can I cuss up this podcast? Yes. Oh uh, yeah,
0: we it's Mark. I, <laughs> t- I
2: totally bullshitted my way through the interview, and like I didn't know how to use Quark and. Uh, but I could, like, I knew key commands, so, like, it looked like I knew what I was doing, and I totally, like, <laughs> got a job.
0: Have you ever watched The O.C. when it was on? No. There's an episode where they actually, the characters pitch a comic to Wildstorm, and they go through the Wildstorm offices. Oh, I should, I gotta find that. It's, That's uh, quick. well, all the seasons are on HBO Max. It's in the second season, which is arguably the worst season, but it's kind of funny, uh... I'm i
3: kinda of
0: curious to
3: see how accurate it was to that time. It's like you just go into Wildstorm and pitch a comic. Remember what Alan, do you remember one of their editors was also on The Real World? Who? Huh? Which editor? Oh, I can't remember her name. Oh, um Carrie or um Oh uh
2: not Ali Wong. Um <laughs> I know the name, but I can't remember. Jamie what? Jamie Chung? My my girlfriend's here too. She's like, oh, okay. uh, oh, no, Jerry Chung <laughs> no, is the no, actress. Jane, Jane, a, Chung is the actress of Lovecraft
1: Country. Yeah, she's the actress. I do remember.
2: I do remember. I know, uh,
1: her. what's his name? I
2: mean, it's That's, been 30 years. Okay. So. I know Sean
0: Winnick was on The Real World. He was on the, <laughs> the very first
1: season. Yeah, I know
2: that. No, this was like 90. I was there in like 97. And I think she'd already been on there. And I remember people talking about it. Oh, um, okay. They always, the, the people that work at Wildstorm always like to bring up the wizard issue where, like, they went to Wildstorm and they took pictures of people playing hacky sack on the beach oh. and stuff, and it was totally, <laughs>
0: totally random. Was, yeah,
1: because the idea is supposed to be like, yo, look at, look at us, we're the cool office, forget DC, forget Marvel, look at us, we play hacky sack on the beach.
2: It was cool, like, I was there, and like, I could, from my office, I could see the ocean and the waves breaking below us, like, it was oh. like a, just block and the hard rock cafe was across the street and like we'd go over there for like meetings or like wow. when the power went, I went over there and play pool it was just it was it was a really surreal experience like i'm like this is comics it went really slow computers so i would like i'd be opening like a whole book 20 pages and like read a comic and then do stuff and then read a comic <laughs>
0: it was like <laughs> it was like, my dream job so <laughs> just to contextualize it for our listeners who are probably me and Phil's age are younger. This is the era of like Windows ninety seven, Windows ninety-eight. Yeah, but I was on a Mac, so
2: oh, okay.
1: oh wow. So not just a Mac, you're a this... Macintosh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'd be <a>
3: whole <laughs>
2: Dang, yeah. Like it was a Power Mac 7500, I think was my workstation.
3: Ooh.
2: Yeah. And I was I wasn't coloring at the time, I was doing production. So what I did was like scanning in the original art boards. So I would spend entire board or entire days just scanning in boards. And like when our scanner broke, like I would go over to IDW when they just opened and I'd go use their scanner. And they were like, their office was over like a, a, a gym in, uh, in uh, ocean beach in San Diego. And I would go hang out with those guys. <laughs> but like, they were like they were making books for like PlayStation games. Like while I was scanning uh-huh. in. Board. Yeah. It was a weird, it was so it was a really fun time and i had no idea like like how good it was at the time yeah i, mean, I did but looking back it was really good
3: <laughs> so that's All how right. i got into comics
1: <clears throat> okay so True. drew how did you how did you get into comics
3: his story's way cooler than mine <laughs> <laughs> i uh I she went <laughs> first, huh? yeah i i used to do a little bit of assisting work uh for uh, uh this artist Matt Haley, who used to work a lot at DC and Marvel, um, he's still around, but he's doing like more like film stuff I think these days. Um, but uh, weirdly, he I just like I bumped into him at a local show in Eugene, Oregon, and it turned out he lived up the hill from my parents' house, and so like you know I'd go and hang out with him and you know like do a little bit of assisting typey stuff, and and uh, he introduced me to his agent. And uh, 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 she got me my first work, uh, which uh, uh, my first big work was at uh, Dark Horse doing Star Wars uh, for the X-Wing Rogue Squadron book. Um, So I did uh, uh, right off the bat, I did like six issues straight for that. And uh, and then after that, I went over to D.C. about, I don't know five or six months later. I mean, it's been a pretty straight track. I mean, it's, you know, and I just, I worked out of my little apartment in Eugene, Oregon, uh, and, you know, occasionally drove pages up to Dark Horse up in Portland when, you know, whenever I could. It's very boring compared to his, man. I mean, I got in, like, right after all that died, and, like, so, like, I saw, like, like Matt Haley, actually, the guy I was talking about, worked on an issue of Brigade for um, Rob Liefeld, and oh, yeah? He did, yeah, he did, like, two pages and, and got paid, like, $1,000 a page, which wow. was unbelievable at the time. But that's, you know, that's how it was back in the day. And, uh, uh, you know, it's like, I was like, oh, my God, there's so much money in comics. wee And <laughs> there was, really.
0: <laughs> so that actually leads me to my next question, because you two were active during the 90s. I guess tell us what it was like working through the the big crash
3: 95 it? and so like i don't know i didn't like i didn't go right to work for image or anything like a lot of the guys that got in a little earlier because um, a lot of younger guys in those days got uh pulled into image in one way or another pretty quickly um but i i got in at uh, dark horse and then dc and um And it was steady. I mean, you know, like I never had, uh, uh, you know, wanted for work or anything like that after I, after I got rolling, Uh, DC was still kind of in a good heyday at that time. Um, And they kept me nice and busy. And then I would bounce back to Dark Horse, uh, uh, you know, once or twice later on for work. And then, you know, and DC kept me busy for a lot of years. So, I mean, it's nice. I mean, as far as the collectibles crash, the only time I really noticed that was like my last uh, day job before I got into comics was working in a comic shop and uh, we just weren't selling as many copies of Spawn as we had. been. (laughs) 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 but, But I got out like right then I got out of the comic store and into comics. And so I didn't have to keep track of that. And I had my head down working. So, you know, like I have no complaints whatsoever, but you know, like I didn't get to go all Allen style and work on, you know, by the beach or anything. Mm-hmm. So I'm highly jealous of his experience. And, you know, like the, uh, the amazing days. <laughs> well, I mean, it was great.
2: I only worked at the studio for like three or four months. Oh, And, really? uh, and then my, the raise thing came around and I had applied as an artist and, gra- and designer at a, a place that worked for the San Diego zoo. And like, I you know did my review everything went well and they're like yeah you did great we're gonna give you 30, 30 cents more an hour and I'm like this other this other company was like yeah we'll give you five dollars more an hour
3: <laughs> oh,
2: so like <laughs> so I left Wildstorm and did all and then I had this great experience doing stuff for the National Parks and Zoo where I was like watercoloring and going to like print presses and doing pre production and post production work so I kind of missed the lull but. Uh, my friend David Barron was a colorist and he needed flatting. So like I'd go do that all day and then I'd go to sit at a coffee shop with my like early MacBook and Wacom tablet and flat. Like he was, he did like a huge run on JLA. So like I was flatting JLA and authority pages that he was coloring. So, and it wasn't until like 2002, four, somewhere in there, maybe six. I'm really bad at linear time. And, um, where I started, I actually moved in with David, and then I learned. I basically moved in with him and sat behind him and like learned how to color. So I kind of missed that depression. I mean, I was buying comics, but that was about it. Okay.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And flatting, which is which is funny because I still have all those flats. I might have pages that you drew of Authority. I don't even know what number oh
3: page
1: number.
3: It was the uh, 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 Andy Lanning and Dan uh, um, uh, oh, Abbott. God. Yeah, Dan Abnett uh, run. Uh, I did. I think some of the last issues before it moved over to uh, I think Tim Seeley actually took over mm-hmm. after us. Yeah, um, I might actually have some of that black and white art in like one on a hard drive.
2: That's that's crazy.
3: Oh my gosh, look at that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was right. the the first work I did for Ben Abernathy uh, at Wildstorm, and then uh, I, I took my creator-owned book to them. And uh, they picked it up, and then immediately Wildstorm went out of business. <laughs> they, got, <laughs> the they, got, they got moved over to D.C. And, uh, yeah, so it was like I showed up right when Wildstorm – like uh, I, I got in my last bit of Wildstorm work before I could have, and then they were no more. Uh, oh, yeah.
2: That's uh, around when I was coloring Authority Kev and stuff like that. Oh, favor- yeah, yeah. Cool. Weird. All right.
1: That's um, – I mean – there's no such thing as coincidences. That's what Lauren and Order taught me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, like, thank every, God you're paying every, attention. I uh, no. Uh, <laughs> so we wanted to uh, move on and talk about like the actual comic itself. So, like, how did you end up drawing Godzilla?
3: Uh, it was a it was a really funny circumstance because uh, I was just on a, uh, a late Wednesday comic book run to uh, House of Secrets here in Burbank, and uh, me and my studio mate, Tony, just popped over there, and uh, it, it was weird because right around that time, I literally couldn't go to that comic store without bumping into some other professional I knew and getting a job. Oh. And, and so, like, you know, like right before that... Um, I had run into another guy and gotten a job, (laughs) and so it was just becoming a running joke with me and Tony. And we walked in, and I saw uh, my old friend Robert Napton at the back, just kind of hanging out, looking at books. So I went up to say hey to him, and he is the uh, uh, executive VP of uh, of the comics division at Legendary Studios. And uh, you know, I think I'd done some cover work for him uh, like a year or two before. And he was like, hey, man, oh, it's so great to see you. I was just thinking about you for this book. And I was like, what? And uh, he's like, yeah, come and have uh, coffee with me tomorrow. We'll talk about it. And, you know, like we met up for coffee and that was Godzilla Aftershock. And this is what, 2017, 2018? This is was, between the two yeah. movies, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, it would have been, uh, oh, gosh, I think it was late 17. Because mm. uh, we had some delays on Aftershock and I did some uh, uh, other work for legendary but right before that uh leading up into it and so yeah and then i and then i took about i guess just about a year on aftershock so yeah that sounds about right okay
0: and then alan did you get on because like the you go did you like hey be a colorist <laughs> well i got i got a bunch of colors so
2: <laughs> no really, it's actually really weird because like, like drew was is part of this uh studio called gas um garage what is it garage art garage art studios garage art studios and i'd go and just it was in burbank so when i was down in la with my girlfriend i would go up there and just kind of like hang out and it was like it was drew and tony fleece and chris burnham and um uh, dennis culver and we just kind of all sit around and like oh don't forget chris, uh, chris oh yeah it, i never saw chris he only showed up at night yeah, and, uh, yeah but um we'd all talk and drew was actually drawing it but i had i had nothing to do with the project other than you know like we were talking about the digital aspects because i was you know i do all this stuff with adobe and and ipad and digital art but then like then maybe drew you could continue that story because like you could tell them how i got involved
3: i'm trying to figure out the nicest way to tell it um there was a colorist that i have had uh asked to have on the project and uh he was um, leaving uh, for reasons we probably just don't need to go into, but uh, okay. uh, and, and and Alan's you know at the studio and we're talking about it and and I was just like, dude, I love your stuff. I'm sitting here watching you work. You're awesome, and you know we were getting to be pretty uh, friendly at the time, and and. Uh, because we, we'd hung out at like Stockton Con together, and uh, and then the times you've been down at the studio, and uh, you know I, I figured I mean I knew I could trust you to actually get the book done, which you know would be helpful. So you know, <laughs> Alan's a professional. Let's get Alan. And then it turned out that uh, uh, Jan Jones uh, came to work at uh, Legendary, and she knew uh, Alan uh, well from their time at DC. And she got really excited. She was like, "Oh, I love Alan! Let's get Alan!" And so <laughs> we got Alan. And uh, the book production went much smoother after that. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: Let's see, look uh, at that. Is, that.
0: is that pretty common in the work for hire, freelancer realm? Because you know, me and Phil were trying to break in and get work, and we we're pitching our own comic to agents, you no know, success. Is it just a lot of it just like hanging out at the same coffee tables and comments? I just like
3: yeah, there's definitely. Like, Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was
2: just saying, just, like, going to conventions and, like, talking to people and, and you know, like, sharing calm experiences. And then, like, because, you know, there's so many people, like, as professionals, so many people come at you, like, I want to do stuff. But, like, that's great. Lots of people want to do things. But, like, get, like, kind of creating, like, a, a little bit of, like, personal interaction and, like, actually, you know, creating something more than just, like, a, an email definitely has helped me a lot. Yeah. I, I know in my early days, like my ability to drink copious amounts of whiskey at the Hyatt Bar at San Diego Comic-Con. <laughs> so
3: I know I'm well, I'm well acquainted with that method of things myself. <laughs> so uh, uh, When I was in Georgia uh, early in my career, uh, in my studio, we did like a ton of conventions up and down the East coast and a lot of drinking up and down the East coast. And <laughs> And honestly, sometimes that's half the work is, you know, it's like I learned early in my career, uh, even when I hadn't done much uh, at that point, um, I just learned to walk into a bar and, you know, where I could just kind of hang out for a conversation and then introduce myself and just chat and, um, or even just chat without introducing myself because they'll ask eventually, um, and, uh, you know, so that's where you strike up just common conversations, not talking about comics, just talking about, you know, just shooting the breeze, honestly. Right. Um, you know, the work yeah. stuff comes up organically. Um, and, you know, those people really do remember you. And, uh, you know, which is amazing because we were all destroyed at the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, but those are some of the best memories, though, that come up with people. That decide they want to work with you because like you know they've seen you at your sloppiest. I guess I don't know.
1: <laughs> I, I, I think that honestly, I think that's exactly what it is, right? Because they see you, right? You're you're sloshed out of your mind, but you're having a good time. Like, <laughs> hey, that guy, like you know, he had the 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 mug on his head, but he was so fun. Let's let's get him to draw something. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, totally.
0: <laughs> okay, it, but there's also there's that phrase um in vino veritas. So when you're drunk, that's when you're in the most honest.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's uh, yeah <laughs> so, so, so i was gonna say my question is right for the both of you of course like would you say that being able to learn how to small talk is probably the greatest asset an artist can use i mean i don't know about like,
3: the small talk but i mean just being able to be mellow and sociable and roll with the crowd uh-huh. um you know, I mean, it just that was I think, you know, like one of my best skills when I was an early early freelancing was just, you know, having a drink in my hand and staying loose and just talking with anybody that felt like talking. And it was funny because you really literally sometimes never knew who you were ending up in a group with. And then you'd find out and be like, oh, damn, I'm in this group. And just then you just shut up and keep going. You know, I mean, you don't worry about it. You just keep talking and chill and Good things happen. Okay. That's definitely that's definitely helpful. It's not easy. You can't like tell
2: that like you know to my students. I can't like go t- say like you need to go to the bar at the convention and, <laughs> start and that's how you work. Because it's more. I mean, y- you also have to have like create something of a body of work and have that you know available. Oh, yeah. And oh. it's just get your foot in the door, kind of like what I did at Wildstorm. I mean, basically like getting that job was the reason I got into comics. Okay, so. Sorry about the car alarm outside. Uh, don't worry about
0: it. Uh, this is, this is what our—that's the level of uh, technical proficiency our listeners have come to expect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, zero budget, zero audio editing skills, <laughs> so,
1: and, and zero video skills too. Yeah. I I literally just learned how to make uh, YouTube videos. I was like, oh cool, I can put this on there now. After jumping like through a million hoops. Um. So, so now. Oh,
0: uh, so I I went. My question. I wanted okay. to ask about kind of the process of working on a property like Godzilla. because mm-hmm. so I know you two have experience working on established IPs from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, et cetera. I'm kind of curious, were there any kind of restraints or things you have to work around with Godzilla? Especially because, like, this is between two movies. Like, it's like, you know, you have to follow this design. Godzilla has to look this way. These people have to look the same way.
3: Yeah, I had uh, actually I just answered some interview questions about this, for print. Um, It's it's interesting because like they're not like it's not up front. They don't they're not like these are the designs we want you to follow. You have to do this thing. Um, I just I mean, mainly I I got a lot of my reference offline. Um, You know, I knew I needed to follow the uh, 2014 movie um, because, you know, that's that's what they were working with. Uh, going into King of the Monsters, you know, same version. Um, So I was able to just find a ton of reference for that. Um, And I just, you know, I just worked with that. Um, Where you do get your instruction is like, uh, like every batch of like five to 10 pages of of work, they'll send it over to Toho for approvals. Uh And then Toho will send them back notes and be like, well, you know, the fins aren't shaped right. Uh, You know, enlarge this part or shrink this part. The shape of the head is a little off. And they'll give you some, you know, like actually some really constructive notes. Um, They were never picky. They were always, you know, real constructive and helpful. And, you know, I I said in the interview, and and I've I've said it before, I've always found it interesting how constructive and helpful Toho's comments are. Because I've always found after I did what they wanted that it looked better. So they've been they're they've always been really nice to work with and and uh, and legendary is real helpful too in that way. So it's 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 not a very stressful experience. They're you know, they're real good.
0: Did you have any experience with the colors like that, Alan? Because I know at least from DC, they're they're actually very strict with the colors. Like I remember um Ronald Weberly, he made that comic about being colors and without even going to like things about race or skin tone, he was like the shade of red for Superman's cape—it's like it has to be this shade, but it's like, but like he's in shadow, so of course it has to be a different shade. Did you have uh, any, you kind know, of similar thing with Godzilla?
2: The legendary Godzilla stuff actually was really freeing. Like they—they they were as long as Godzilla looked like Godzilla, and you know, whatever kaiju that I was coloring, and like what I got from Drew was so solid. I, I got to like really experiment with like tone and mood and color in ways that sometimes I don't always get to do it DC because like you know if you if you have the wrong kind of if the sky is red in a DC comics it's probably crisis you know it's like crisis <laughs> <laughs> but you could do a red sky with Godzilla because you know there's not that kind of like back you know like that uh that stuff you have to worry about so like i i found it really freeing and um it was really cool because It was a large book. It was a long book, so like it it allowed me to like really play with like like uh, scenes with color and motif, where I don't always get to do that in a like a 20-page single issue. Um, So they were great. I think I think we had some stuff I had to I had to do some some tweaks on, but it was more just because they they definitely do have a a Godzilla history that they they don't want to screw with um and but i mean it was all it was they're great to work with and i would love to work on more legendary stuff so and it's exactly. fun because it's so intertwined with the movie production stuff that it's it's a different sense where if you work on a dc comic you work on that comic but like th- there doesn't seem to be any negative stuff coming from the movies to the comic we're on the dc stuff like after that green lantern book i had to like color all the green lanterns like their Green Lantern costume, like that that horrible movie, and it like ruined like. <laughs> <I> thought... <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh dang! <laughs> yeah.
0: Wow. Well, yeah.
2: I guess
0: it's I guess it's okay to say that now because they all they all realized the movie was bad.
3: Right. Yeah. You know, it, uh, too. Uh, just just real quick, Alan, was it like I felt like on Dominion, like I felt like you know like our partnership kind of matured too, and like you did some really cool new stuff that you know like you, you you expanded on from the work that you did on aftershock and there's just some beautiful beautiful stuff that you did in the, in, in uh, dominion man i mean it's i was looking at it last night because i was putting some of the pages into my uh, iphone album just to flip through uh-huh. and it just i mean it looks so great dude i mean there's just cool. so much in there um so i mean i i feel like Dominion definitely shows growth for us too, which I'm excited about. I agree. Uh, yeah. That, that book comes out in May? No, I think it comes out on the 30th of March.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, we, cool. we actually All thought right. about, like, let's do the comp, God of War's comp prequel, but it comes out the day of the movie release. So.
3: Yeah. yeah. Well, like, I think it's the day before, because I think I, I could swear uh, they said that uh, uh, GBK comes out on the 31st. And we're out on the 30th, but I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to tell sometimes. I don't know all this stuff like yeah like, weird marketing stuff. Plus, they pushed the Godzilla movie back again. So yeah. we, you know,
2: when the pandemic hit, like everything was kind of all up in the air and like because like, I think we originally were gonna have this book done like in November or something.
0: Yeah. Of last oh, wow. And
2: right,
0: but, you that's know, when the, the movie was supposed to come out.
3: Yeah, yeah. It
2: all, going back. Like suddenly we felt like we had a bunch of padding and then HBO Max happened and it's like, "Oh crap, we have to get this book done." <laughs> yeah.
3: Cuz they had uh, they had GBK all the way back to May and then uh, and then Max came up and then it was like whoop. <laughs> But I mean, we knocked out some pages quick and still did work that I'm really proud of. So I feel really good about, you know, like
2: Yeah. You know, I, I did don't not, think- went down but I was doing like four pages a day at one point like just going through them and you were getting them done too like just yeah. pop them out so and I think like and I was going to say like I could tell the difference between the last book and Dominion just in your confidence in using doing everything digitally and like what you're doing and I think like I could definitely there's been a there's a huge growth so you'll have to get that you'll have to check that book out when it comes out in 30 days or so <laughs>
1: yeah yeah oh, <man. laughs> It's it's, uh, uh, it's already on the list.
0: Yeah, pay attention to that, listeners. Um, <laughs> I kind of on the same note, we were talking about restrictions. Uh, I kind of want to hear your thoughts on the design of uh, Moodle Prime, which like I was, like, which is because it's not a monster that's in art of the movies. I would have seen you actually got more freedom to figure out how to design them.
3: Yeah, that was that was a really interesting experience. Um, because you know, like I grew up watching the old Godzilla movies. But, like, I never really thought about what went into the thinking of the design of, like, the various kaiju. And so, like, they said, okay, well, uh, this, this, this uh, monster is going to be, uh, you know, Jin Shin Mushi, the, the dragon beetle. And I was like, oh, okay, it's going to be just a giant dragon beetle. So I drew a dra- giant dragon beetle. looked just like a dragon beetle. It was just big. <clears throat> and they are like, oh, wait a second, dude, What? <laughs> And uh and, and and so God, I don't remember who it was. I don't know if Legendary pointed it out. It could have just been Tony Fleece or Chris Moreno schooling my dumb self. Um, but somebody was like, Well, you gotta look at it like you know, these these monsters are dudes in suits. And no matter uh-huh. Yeah, like no matter how much the technology has changed. The expected format of a kaiju monster really comes from that kind of dude in a suit look. And so I started doing a bunch of ref- or, you know, like just searches online and really looking at various kaiju over the years. And man, sure enough, I mean, even like the badass computer done, you know, really amazing looking designs, always you look at it and, and there could be a person in a suit. You know, inside that. And so once I got to that, you know, like that headspace, it made a ton of sense. And so I started, you know, designing in that direction. And my first one was better, but not, you know, quite there. And then like it only took one more try before like I hit a design that, you know, was in the neighborhood of what we went with. After that, it was just fine-tuning stuff back and forth with Legendary and and uh, probably Toho. Um, though I think it was more Legendary's uh, mythology team involved in, in the development of Jinshin Mushi because, you know, like, that was more of a, a recent kaiju. Um, but it was really fun, like, once I understood what the backbone of the idea should be. Okay. And, you know... I didn't
1: know that. Yeah, yeah bad. Like, it? you saying that out loud, like, it all clicks in my mind. I'm like, yo, like, this is mind-blowing. So. <laughs> <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> and then, Alan, uh, did you have any input on what the color, Namuto? Because I know there's a lot of orange, which is a well, gray, that, stark, stark direction from the movie because they're the, mostly gray.
2: The previous color color is kind of like, so what what happened was when I came in the book, like like, I'd say like a third, a little little bit more of a third of it was actually colored already, but they wanted me to go back and clean it up, like put my touch on it. So I actually went back and like adjusted every page and did some more rendering or changed some effects. Um, so, but I kind I liked what I liked what that the other colors did. I think I did some tweaks. I'm looking at like the one this page where he's like throwing police cars and stuff. Um, so I, I thought it was kind of cool. It's it's, fr- it's fairly unique for, like, for the kaijus. Usually they're, like, gray and brown and, and right. stuff. And this was kind of beige and orange with the red veins and the suckers coming <laughs> yeah. out
0: of the mouth. And then you got the long
3: Well, that was endemic to the design that they requested because, uh, like, the orange parts, he was supposed to, or she was supposed to have, like, lava for blood, basically. Uh-huh. Um, oh. You know, she's a much more uh, elemental, uh, version of, cause she's like the, uh, like one of the early kaiju titans. Um, and, uh, I guess that, you know, cause she digs through earth and, you know, is very earthborn. So there's a lot of earth elements involved in, in the color and the design that, uh, that they told us about when we were, when we were getting going on it. Okay. And and then um,
0: one thing we wanted to ask about the process, uh, this is kind of where me and Phil, we agreed this is our favorite parts of the book, which is all (laughs) the the Phoenician wall art.
1: Yeah. And they
0: look like the ancient cave paintings. And it's it's also a very different style from the rest of the book as well.
2: Yeah, Drew killed that.
0: I I got some of that and I
2: made it way too poppy apparently at first. So like I had to tone my stuff down. Oh,
0: was it, was it like, the filters were too much or something like that? Uh, You
2: know, I really like that concept of coloring, uh, like, a uh, you know, that wall art or the, that painted stuff. And I, I think I went a little crazy with it It looks even now I'm looking at the page and it looks a little saturated, but, uh, Mm -hmm. to me now, but, um, Drew killed it. Like he put so much
3: texture and stuff. And I just went with it like what he did with it. So it's cool. We know what was interesting about it. Uh, Alan was, uh, um, that was right where I made the transition to digital. Uh, Cause like the first, what is it? Nine pages of the book are all hand inked from uh, huh. digital pencils. And um, I was trying to do uh, the, the wall art uh, by hand. Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to use a uh, grease pencil and dry brush initially. Whoa. And it was unbelievably difficult the uh, the the godzilla splash page uh i think i want to say it's page two, page two yeah page, page two. two yeah uh that one's all hand done um and then i think like the godzilla figure's all hand done and then i think no i think i did the little guys too i think it's all hand done and then page one and the other pages were all digital and I, you know, I used uh, um, uh, brushes like uh, charcoal brushes and stuff like that uh, on Photoshop for it, which, oh, my God, was so much easier. I mean, I was so grateful <laughs> to moving over because, like, that, that big Godzilla splash uh, took forever, you know. And also the, the, uh, the grease pencil is very, very inconvenient to work with because that stuff rubs all over the place if you happen to touch it on accident. Mm. And, you know, no matter how light I went with it, I was smearing it on accident and it was just a humongous pain. And, yeah, once I switched over to digital, everything got infinitely easier.
1: (laughs) Oh, man, that's crazy. Like thinking about it, but like I think you mentioning it out loud is like, okay. now I'm able to see that transition from traditional to like full uh, digital work because I can see like little little parts where uh, you're inking right. It's very bold and because of how bold it is, you can see there's no uh, anti-aliasing. So there's like so it's very clean edges. Yeah, uh, yeah. So like I was like, wait, hold on, what's going on here? This is this is digital. This man has a <laughs> teak. So I mean, but it's interesting though, like that transition from traditional to uh, digital. Like, did you find that? Uh, challenging or was it like, oh, I needed this my entire life? What was this?
3: A little bit of both. Um, I had actually just done my very first uh, digital book uh, when I drew issue three of The Shield over at Archie um, because they were, you know, we were running behind schedule because the book had been behind when I inherited it. And so they were like, what can you do to go faster? And I had started experimenting with digital and I had learned uh, from the guys at the studio had taught me a lot. Uh, Alan gave me some instruction over time too. Um, just basically my friends helped me piece together how to use Photoshop for comics. And so I ended up doing all of issue three of uh, the shield digital. And I, I was really happy with the results and it had made me faster. And then uh, when we got going on Aftershock. We got going late because there was a lot of uh, pre-stuff before, you know, like they, they take a long time getting the scripts done. And there's a lot of approvals they have to go through. And, and so there's a lot of uh, roads to go through before the book gets really going all the way. So we were running behind to begin with. And the hand-inked pages, while I was really happy with them and Legendary was happy with them, they're like, we got to bust this out faster because we're going to need this by, you know, X time mm-hmm. and projecting it out. We're getting nervous. And I was like, well, we can you know, we can go digital and see how that goes. And the transition was a little bit bumpy, you know, from time to time. But fortunately, I had, you know, like especially like uh, watching well all the guys at the studio. I mean, uh, Tony Fleece helped me out a ton because he's an ace with Photoshop and uh, Chris Burnham gave me some good help. And uh, on the occasional night when I was there, Moreno would give me some help. And and, uh, and Dennis Culver actually gave me a ton of help too. And between all that, you know, and, and then uh, uh, Alan coming to the studio, uh, I learned a lot in a little bit of time. And so it helped to get the book in on time. And it really fully moved me all the way over from uh, hand inking to just fully doing comics and digital and, and being really comfortable with that. And like Alan said, you know, I mean, I think, dominion looks better for that and i think you can see a difference okay right. you should uh enrol,
1: you should enroll
0: in the grad program
3: and sign up for alan's class be one of his students <laughs> what wait
0: what's <laughs> that oh uh, so you should enroll in the mfa program and sign up for alan's digital class i know right <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at, this point, at this point i might
2: have drew committed or do a, like a Skype call or a Zoom call in for my class to talk about how he digitally composites pages because I think he's at that point now. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Okay. So I think uh, this is the question that's been on the back of our mind for like this entire conversation, which has been absolutely fantastic. But I need to know. uh, Well, not just forewarning.
0: Forewarning, this is going to be a very hard-hitting, very (laughs) political question. You may oh, no. you lose or gain some followers here. Yes. But we, we have to know the stances.
1: Yes. Okay. Are you Godzilla? rooting for Godzilla yeah. or Kong? Uh, which one? Oh,
3: that's a toughie. Alan, how are you feeling?
1: I,
0: man,
2: I actually, I'm rooting. I can't talk about it until the movie comes out.
0: Cause I'm doing. <laughs> oh, wait, you actually know how, you actually know the plot of the movie? No, work no. Comic?
2: But we do i mean i know some things that aren't uh, privy to the the populace yet and i'm, okay. I'm rooting for that
1: <laughs> <laughs> i mean i gotta
3: always say though that like i i'm just loyal to godzilla just based on you know how much food that godzilla's kept on my table so <laughs>
1: honestly I think that that is the most honest answer I could I could hear tonight like yeah.
2: I, I, I can't wait to see how they make them interact because I don't I know that they they're in the same universe but like it's just uh I just think of them as such different entities yeah and it sounds like they're it sounds like um that they're doing some really nice storytelling to like blend those these universes and um I just can't wait to see that. I mean, you you seen the trailer and you know like the carrier fight on the trailer yeah. trailer but uh I, I don't know, I can't wait. Oh, you, are, you, are you first? are you familiar with the
0: history of the first Godzilla versus Kong how they edit the edit the winner of the fight depending on the audience. Oh
3: yeah, dude. <laughs> that's a great story. I mean, like yeah, there's yeah, the different versions yeah. for country and such and yeah, yeah it's that's, that's I didn't know it really amusing
1: yeah, they did. The one in Japan, Godzilla wins. And then the one released here in the West, uh, King Kong wins.
0: Really? I did yeah. not. That. <laughs> oh, which, uh, which I personally thought was BS because I think Godzilla had him on the ropes. I, I bring this up because, you know, there are some people out there. I'm a, I'm a Godzilla supporter and some people out there really want Kong to win. And I'm just like, all right, well, let's, let's break it down. Uh, Godzilla has saved humanity twice in the past decade. Kong hasn't done anything since the 70s. You know, uh, uh, Kong needed help just to take down one stupid, you know, Skullcrawler. Godzilla didn't need help the first time. Second time, gets can get humanity, screen him over. He could have, he almost had, can until humanity dropped the oxygen destroyer.
2: I I would say I'm a bigger Godzilla fan than than Kong fan, uh, but I have at this point colored like you know 200 180 pages of uh of Godzilla. It's yeah, we spent a bit. lot of time
3: with him. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Other than a couple like con uh, like covers, like yeah, I I don't know. I'm looking forward to the movie. I think they're fun. They're they're a blast. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I guess, really... I guess
0: we'll need to do a follow up afterwards once we find out who and be like, Alan, you have to tell us now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put you on the spot. Yeah, no, no political, point, no 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 wiggle answer out of it.
3: I mean, I have it's... a fantastic wiggle out answer, and just that. I love them both. I love both of the legendary <laughs> versions. Okay. But, I mean, like, like I really love Skull Island. I mean, Skull Island was so freaking cool. It was. And, uh, yeah. And then if you read the legendary books, uh, you find out in uh, um, Birth of Kong that they did. I did the cover for the last issue of it, and um, uh, their same team is, is doing the Kong book that's uh, you know comes out with our book. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, uh, Kong was actually younger uh, in in uh, Skull Island. Yeah, he's supposed to be like a teenager. Really. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, he's an inexperienced uh, Kong at that point, um, if that's such a thing. Uh, but, right. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, so, I mean, I, I'm prepared to cut him some slack. Um, and, I mean, my thing on it is, I'm not losing anything no matter who wins or loses you know. <laughs> yeah. to watch it. So, you know, that's, that's where I firmly sit is on that fence, buddy. That's, that's where I'm living right there.
0: All right, <laughs> all right. All right. Well, well, we can take that answer for now.
3: <laughs> yeah. all right. I mean, honestly, you guys, I really do like them both. So, I mean, I'm happy either way. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I figure film wise, they're both going to keep going, and, you know, maybe we get to do another graphic novel for Godzilla, and that would make me happy. So, yay. <laughs>
0: hey, have you two seen any of the memes about Godzilla versus Kong that's, like, the Batman v. Superman? And it's like, you know, save Mothra. Thank Why you. did you say that name? Oh, okay. <laughs> God.
2: That is awesome. Yeah. No, but I want to, I'm to find that now. <laughs>
0: yeah. My favorite my favorite one is uh, they take Adam Sandler from Uncut Jeb's. And going like I wanna put I'm gonna put the I'm gonna put everything on Kong, I want Kong to cover the spread, I want Kong to get the rebound.
3: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, he was
0: nice. he he end he ended up he, he lucking out in that movie, so maybe maybe Kong will be the winner, now <laughs> Maybe. All right. Um, I think
1: that's that's a good a good point to end at, right?
0: Yep, I think so. Okay, uh, cool. Yeah, so once again I'd like to thank you both, Drew and Alan, for coming on our podcast. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it was Thank great God. hearing your insights. Um, a lot of cool stories that I didn't anticipate. <laughs> <laughs> um, if people want to find you and or find where you work, where would you, uh, you know, what's your contact info? Where, are we, where can they you find yourself?
2: Go ahead, Drew.
3: Oh, okay. Uh, basically, all my stuff is just at uh, uh, Drew Edward Johnson. Facebook, you can just look me up under Drew Edward Johnson. Uh, same thing with uh, Twitter and Instagram. Sometimes there's, uh, you know, those little lines separating each part of the name. Uh, that's about it. Um, but I keep everything just pretty much, you know, Drew underscore Edward underscore Johnson. Okay.
2: And I'm, uh, I go by Angry F, the word angry and the letter F, on Twitter, Instagram, Behance, Society6, you name it. Just look Angry F and there'll be just a list of things. You can, uh, you can find uh, all, the, all my coloring work. Including a bunch of, uh, uh, well, as soon as this book comes out, there'll be a bunch of Drew's uh, Godzilla on my Twitter, or on my Instagram, I'm sure.
3: Oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll be blowing that out on social media. You yeah, go. totally. Awesome, yeah, as awesome. As as, yeah, as soon as that floodgate opens, boy, we are, we are there. <laughs> we got 80 88. <laughs> yeah, we, we got lots of
0: stuff, so. And then, uh, as a tradition for our sign-off for a podcast, me and Phil... Oh, uh, we say we are some insert some kind of obscure 90s show. Uh, we like to give you guys that honor of picking a 90s show that we are that best represents this conversation. Oh my god,
2: that's that's so on the spot. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, was always the one that comes up with them randomly, doesn't tell you beforehand.
1: That is also true.
0: My
2: girlfriend Farah was just watching my so called life. And- <laughs> She it over to uh, to Veronica Mars, so I'm not sure. Maybe to...
0: <laughs> okay. I mean, we have we have slipped into early 2000s occasionally, so uh,
3: we, we okay. have.
1: Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I guess... okay,
3: you know, if you want to go Veronica Mars, that was a good show. So, you know. All right,
0: there you go. There you All go, right. listeners. I we, go.
3: <laughs> we are Veronica Mars. <laughs> I mean, I, I was trying to think of like anything related, but I can't remember any any giant monster shows of the 90s. You know, unless like Jerry Seinfeld running through the streets. Ah, you know. <laughs> was it bad Terra Nova? That was a really bad. That one. was a very bad. No, that show. was like
0: 2010. Well, was two no, there wasn't. There wasn't an animated Godzilla series based off the crappy. I
1: one. was trying to remember what the name of that one. Was. It's, well,
0: just it's just Godzilla. It's just Godzilla the animated series.
1: Because there, oh, there was two Godzilla series, right? You had the Hanna Barbera one that had Godzuki, yeah Godzuki. and then you <laughs> had yeah Godzilla the series. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Listeners, All right. uh, you come for Godzilla vs. Kong, you left with Rock and Mars. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>